Hello everyone, I'm Chloe Valdry, and welcome back to the Theory of Enchantment podcast. On this episode, we'll be speaking with the founder of JSwipe. His name is David Yaris, he's originally from Miami, he lives in Brooklyn now, and he started a new consultancy firm called Millennial. This is a really dope episode, I really enjoyed speaking to David, and I think you'll pick something up from this interview as well. If you do, please share, and as always, thank you for listening. All is good. <laughs> Thank you, you for know, joining me. My pleasure. On the Theory of Enchantment podcast. It's an honor. Uh, so I'm just going to dive right in. I've read some stuff about you. I know that you are famously the founder of JSwipe, which me and many of my friends use. Um, and a lot of the reading that I've done on you seems to indicate that you're pretty spiritual uh, and such and inspired by spirituality. So I guess my first question is just like, who are you? And what do you think your grand purpose in life is? It's a, that's a heady, <laughs> going right for it. Right for it. Um, who am I? So who am I? My name is David Yaris. Um, um, what is my grand purpose in life? It's, it's so a few years ago at Burning Man, I will skip the story, but I was at, you know, the middle of the night walking through the desert um, on my own in the freezing cold and like screaming at the top of my lungs, like, what is my purpose? <laughs> it was a, it was a moment. Um, and then oddly, like later, uh, I had this f- sort of flash of neon light wow. in the beaming into my like closed eyes, um, in the words, uh, collective consciousness. Okay. And I don't really remember speaking those words before maybe hearing them, but Um, In sort of massaging that over the next few days, I um, came to um, maybe my version one of a purpose, you know, or mission statement, which Mm -hmm. was cultivating collective consciousness. Okay. Um, So that's sort of overarching one way that I think about um, giving myself uh, to the world, which Mm -hmm. is I if, you know, my friends will ask a question in different ways. What's your gift? What's your superpower? You know, what's your zone of genius? Uh, and for all of them, I think they're the same question asked a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what resonates for me is empathy okay. um, and the idea of sort of sensory energetically feeling um, those around me or the energy in space or experiences or events or groups. Okay. And um, that's been something that really, you know, I, I feel very close to. Um, since as long as I can remember, and it's taken form in my life in all different ways. Originally, maybe through events. Like my first thing that I was excited about, you know, at 14 in Miami Beach was throwing parties and, you know, mm-hmm. renting out these little venues and bringing together the local community. And I loved the feeling of sort of the vibration of the room, mm-hmm. everyone together, this sort of collective energy. Um, but I didn't have language for it then, right. really understand that. Um, and then through, you know, um, through community management or, or, or social communities or really now social networks and a- always thinking about the energy between people, experiences uh, and spaces. Um, and I have this, you know, theory that anyone who's sort of around you, anyone that we see like either in this office or on the subway or whatever, if someone like punches them or if they get like cut, mm-hmm. we'll feel it a little bit. Right. Okay. Because because. We can understand and relate to their that them by virtue of us being in the same place. You mm-hmm. know, we have somewhat somewhat overlapping circumstance. Yeah. Um, but I believe that our ability to empathize 
is limited by our ability to understand. Okay. And so, for example, you know, um, someone on the subway who I don't know, but like we're both in New York City, we're both on the subway, like we have somewhat uh, similar experiences. Yeah. Um, so I can I could feel for them. Okay. But if I were to even fathom that I understand the life of a Syrian refugee or Puerto Rico post hurricane mm-hmm. and like the the human experience there it's it, it's not even remotely possible for me to really truly understand therefore my ability to empathize is limited and therefore my likelihood to take action for mm. is limited okay. and so i believe that um, if we can cultivate collective consciousness or the, uh, you know, the understanding of universal oneness or connectivity with, you know, all humans and all beings or life, you know, worldwide, then we would be able to um, better understand, better empathize, and then ultimately take action for people uh, close, you know, near and far away. So, so how does one do that? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, one of the ways that I plan to be doing it, and it's something that's been sort of a passion project on the uh, on the docket, but hasn't really taken full form yet, okay. um, is a project called Millennial, mm-hmm. um, whereby I would go around the world um, curating, sourcing, and storytelling the the lives and human experience of you know uh, humans around the world. Okay. And so whether it's at first, you know. Um, going around with a camera, with a, you know, audio and, and really finding beautiful, uh, diverse life, you know, stories and then, um, and then sort of capturing those stories and sharing them, um, uh, is, is one way or maybe the first way, which overlaps with a dream of mine, which is to travel the world with like a van or do whatever. Um, and you know, the dream is further though, that it doesn't, it's not about me capturing these stories, right? It's about the stories being accessible and shared. And so, creating a platform or a a way of um, everyone or anyone around the world, you know, sharing their or, you know, others um, stories Mm -hmm. and and the human experience. I think my hope from that is that we'll see visually, you know, it might look diverse. It might look, you know, very different in color and accent and ritual and culture, but we'll, we'll see through many stories. Ideally, we'll emerge common denominators common themes Mm -hmm. and sort of the shared universal human experience Mm -hmm. Uh, are there are there any models out there that you look toward that give you inspiration or that you think maybe you can take things from to help build out your vision nothing so far exactly or even really close to the way that i'm thinking okay um the closest to it would be something like Instagram hashtag when you click on a hashtag and you see sort of the tiles of the human experience around that place or that you know the geotag or the hashtag but it's not really user-friendly it's not like there's just so much and it's kind of just so cluttered that you can't really get a full deep feeling for that but the idea of aggregating or curating um, snippets and clips of life from you know the the global experiences is is one of my sort of passions or interests and um, you know, leading into the version one purpose of yeah. um, cultivating collective consciousness. The second thing that's been 
you know, really you know, emerged for me over the last year or two is I find myself almost shockingly or at least very surprised and you know, would have never expected um, very involved in the the Jewish world mm-hmm. um, professionally personally you know really everything Lee at this point pretty mm-hmm. all-encompassingly yeah um, and for a lo- and, and to be honest it's like I'm confused and I think you know what is my Jewish identity how do I identify what is you know what does it mean to be Jew- all these questions that uh, you know that I ask and I, I know that I'm not the only one asking these right. I don't have any you know really polished you know final answer that that feels true to me Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I've also been giving myself to over the last year or two has been stepping into this idea of sharing that journey and sharing that confusion and you know and questioning um, with you know the world or with you know anyone who wants to sort of join and in, in, in journey or question with me. Yeah. And so when I would go to these conferences and, you know, speak on behalf of millennial Jews, which is so, you know, ridiculous because there's so many, you know, because we're so, we're, it's, it's, you know, unbelievably diverse depending on where you are, who you are, yeah. um, what you believe, how you believe, how you practice. But um, I used to, you know, think or I used to say, the answers that I felt like people wanted to hear, because okay. um, I feel like in the Jewish world there's a there's a you know there's a fairly broad but specific set of answers that yeah. people want to hear to these questions. And yeah. instead, about a year ago, I realized that my truth was that I'm 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 confused, and I know that I'm not the only one. And mm-hmm. so instead of you know pitching the softball answers, I'm gonna I'm going to stand in the power of my confusion and my truth, and mm-hmm. uh, invite anyone along the way. Um, and so that's been another. Uh, another part of what I feel like my current purpose is. Um, so to clarify, I guess it would be sort of co-creating and enabling our generation to um, take ownership in the um, you know visioning and the and the actualization of um, the millennial Jewish experience. So uh, this is a great uh, segue to a follow-up question. Would you say that your Jewish journey uh, inf- informs your desire to cultivate collective consciousness and vice versa yeah it's such an interesting question because i mean maybe but it doesn't feel like it's a direct you know because of this then that's why i do that Mm -hmm. if anything it almost feels a little bit um averse to the way that i you know some of the struggle that i've been thinking about which is uh, you know, I consider, first of all, Jewishly, of course, I'm Jewish, and I consider myself hashtag Jewish, which is a joke, but what it means to me is post-denominational Jewish, meaning, like, I don't want a label, I am me, and that, and, mm-hmm. and I'm Jewish, and other than that, like, you know, I don't want to put myself in a box, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, be fluid and figure it all out, but, um, but separate to that, and equally true, I consider myself, like, a universalist, and I don't exactly know what that officially means, but what it means to me is that, um, you know, everyone's truth is equally true to them as mine is to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe in any idea of like the chosen people or, you know, the right versus wrong way of believing or connecting or practicing. Um, I believe in the beauty of, you know, all of the ways. Yeah. And, and so in that journey and in that sort of universalism, um, what I've been struggling with is where does, you know, my Jewish identity, um, you know, sit in my universal you know uh, belief and and because it's particular uh, exactly and so my my good friend jules um shout out jules who lives in tel aviv we were on a trip a jdc a reality trip to india about a month ago we were sitting on the bus and we were dropping in on some of these like projects that i'm you know excited about and 
um, he brought up some really unbelievably fascinating, you know, thinking and gave me some language for this. But the the real question um, that he had me, you know, prompt with is, um, what is the role of particularism in universalism? Mm. Um, and it's you know yeah. something I've been noodling, but um, so. It's yeah. interesting because so I studied Jewish philosophy at a institution called the Tikva Fund here in New York in Manhattan uh, two years ago, and I studied like. Israeli statecraft, Menachem Begin versus Ben-Gurion, Likud versus labor, and their different styles of governing. But one of the things we kept coming to was this idea of particularism versus universalism. Is it a versus, right? That's the question. Are they actually opposed to each other? Is one required in order to bring about the other, which is sort of what where I am uh, in terms of my belief. There's a famous rabbi, uh, Soloveitchik, who says, out of the particular lies the universal. Mm. Uh, and so, it's, it's definitely fascinating. Where would you say, and maybe you don't have an answer to this, but where would you say you are in terms of navigating that question? Um, you know, definitely still the beginning. Yeah. Um, but at, first of all, I'm a Gemini, and the way that I relate to that is I kind of believe in both sides of everything. I'm like, okay. well, I'm, I feel pretty fully universal. Yeah. Um, and I'm also, you know, pretty, you know, clearly, or at least believe fully Jewish. And right. so it's like, um, I, I'm living in the intersection of both where I am I, navigating that question is still the very beginning. Yeah. But one pretty powerful, I guess, checkpoint in my conversation or my thinking on this or sort of new development was, you know, on that trip in our conversation, the idea that um, uh, that Jules presented me with was that, you know, in order to be most authentically universal or in order to hold like the truest form of universal space, you have to come to that space with your particular identity. Right. Otherwise, if you sort of shed who you are in order to hold, quote, universal space, it's not, it's not you know, fully sort of um, true because you're yeah. getting rid of you know, your, your you in order to hold space for others. And so, yeah. It's actually, it's interesting. This dovetails with a conversation I had yesterday with the guy I was telling you about that I interviewed um, because he made a film about battle rapping. And there's sort of a side note, but he made a film about battle rapping, but the premise is a white guy goes into a mostly urban community to battle rap and he becomes really successful because he just has the skill set to do it. But it brings up all these questions of, you know, he's super sensitive to cultural appropriation and all these things, but also his authentic self is this ability to battle rap like this is his skill set and it's interestingly enough in the film it's only when he fully embraces that and and sheds his sensitivity to i don't want to offend you etc that the other people in that community actually come to respect him and actually mm. see him as playing that universal role because he was so particular about who he is and his authentic self so that I, that resonates with that's me. beautiful yeah so i think i think that what your friend says makes sense in terms of how I experience the world, how I experience um, also navigating this question of particularism versus, or not, I won't say versus because I feel like that's the wrong term, but particularism in conversation with uh, universal, I'd, in fact, what is universalism without particularism, right? Mm. This sort of brings up that question and I think that's implicit in what your friend is telling you as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this collective consciousness idea. Um, because I think in some ways there's sort of a model or, or conceptually, here's what I'm thinking. 
you, your belief in the pursuit of conceptual consciousness or collective consciousness is sort of the universalistic part of you, right? Yes. And then your pursuit of your Judaism, whatever that means, is the pursuit of the particularism. So you're pursuing both of these things in different facets of your life. I'm interested in collective consciousness. I'm not from here. I'm from New Orleans originally. So I moved here three years ago. And I find that Brooklyn is such a vibe for this type of conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Like, you know, I used to be involved with volunteering for Daybreaker and and which is big on collective consciousness and Tasha Blank's The Get Down, her, her DJing is super big into collective consciousness. So I'm wondering to what extent has being in Brooklyn affected your thinking on this? If at all, or if you're from Brooklyn, then maybe it's just always so I'm been. From, I'm from Miami. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn is a more recent development, maybe the last five years. Okay. Um, what extent does it affect? I mean, maybe it's sort of, um, I don't know if it, I would say solidified, but it, it maybe it's been a mirror to keep me honest about yeah. like the reality of the universal experience. Because right. when you walk around, it's definitely, you know, uh, universal. It's definitely yeah. sort of everyone from everywhere all coming together you know, in one place to experience life together and, you know, individually. Yeah. Um, I think what really does it for me, though, is is faraway travel. Okay. I feel like when I, I you know, my, I'm an only child and um, my parents, when I was little, really throughout childhood, loved traveling. And I think it was really easy because it was just me. Yeah. And so I was lucky to go, you know, to all different places growing up and seeing the life and the, the experience and the culture and the just way of being uh, of all sorts of different people um, all around the world really reminds you that your slice of the experience is just a you know just a slice and that there's so much more out there and um, that is true and it's fully lived and it's happening right now in this very second you know everywhere and so seeing that and then coming home and then you know sort of just going back to reality here um, it it reminds me and 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 keeps me inspired to recognize that there's so much more um, out there happening every moment uh, and um, and that most people um, you know for whatever reason don't have the um, either opportunity to, to see that okay. right and so how do we bridge that gap how do we bring you know the far away home how do we bring us there how do we how do we start a, a, a global co-created cure you know, community uh collective conversation around the world around yeah around life around what we want around what's important around uh collaboration Mm -hmm. yeah does your experience of going out there change the way you experience here i think it changes sort of overall yeah i mean for sure how i experience here but i don't know if it's about experiencing here as much as just how i experience okay right like um again the india trip a few weeks ago was really really special and um and when I've been to India once or twice before, um, once for my cousin's wedding and then once when I was little. And every time I go there, what's what's truly I mean, everything is truly remarkable. What, mm-hmm. what, what stands out um, and leaves the most you know, impactful impression is that, you know, you go to the slums mm-hmm. and there are these, you know, little kids running around the streets and, you know, covered in dirt who technically quote have nothing um but they're beaming smiling with like 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 exuding joy and just so happy and then you fast forward or you know uh cut back to new york or the Mm -hmm. states and 
um, the most recent loneliness studies, I guess they do, I only re learned this recently, but, you know, every year they do a loneliness index and, you know, loneliness is the highest it's been in, you know, decades and yeah. depression, highest it's been in decades and sadness and all of these metrics that are like where people, quote, have everything or at least access to right. so much more, people are miserable. Right. And then, you know, where people, you know, across the world have nothing. And so it reminds me, yeah, and it, it's like a powerful reality check. Like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. right? Like, what is important? Yeah. Um, do I really need that new I this or I that? It's like, mm, you know, no, yeah. I, I'm good. Like, yeah. you uh, to an extreme degree comparatively. Right, right. Um, so I think that's how it kind of impacts my, you know, day-to-day -day life. Yeah, it's so interesting. Speaking of I this and I that, I just finished uh, Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. And what's fascinating about Steve Jobs is I feel like people forget that he was super spiritual. Like he, he said doing LSD was one of the most important things that he ever encountered in his life. And also he went to India for a few months before he really founded Apple. Um, and also talked about the interesting dichotomy between Americans having everything and feeling lonely. And yet in that part of the world, having from a materialistic perspective, less than, but feeling much more happier or much mm. more joyful. And it's an interesting juxtaposition because I was just at the mayor's state of the city address, which he did yesterday. And they were talking about this campaign and I've actually seen it advertised in the subways called Thrive NYC, which is an attempt to actually deal with mental health here in New York because apparently there's like I don't I don't know if epidem epidemic is the proper term, but there is certainly a problem in terms of New Yorkers, even in our city alone, not feeling connection. And what would you say in your experience is the source of that because sometimes I, I think it's ironic that we have all of these devices, right, that are supposed to be the conduit for connection, but we confuse the conduit for connection with connection itself. And how does that affect, especially, you know, the name of your company is Millennial, so how does that affect our generation who is perhaps certainly one of the more plugged in generations than our parents were? How, how does that affect us and how would you navigate reaching collective consciousness if we are sort of in this matrix where we are confusing the conduit for connection with connection that was a bit of a Oof, i mean no, i, I <laughs> i'm on it but yeah. the, I, so many things the first thing is it's funny you say matrix because what comes to mind every time i think about or talk about this subject is is the matrix okay. I, I think that you know for the most part most people are plugged into the matrix right? maybe we all are but let's say most people are plugged into the matrix and in in that world I think that would be super stressful. I mean, yeah. there's so much pressure put on you. There's so many expectations and cultural, you know, you know, all, all of these things that I have to do this and I have to do that and I'm getting too old. I need to get married and no, oh, no, like all, all of these things. And my first question is really like, do, do you feel that or is that an external pressure that's put on you? Lots sure. of times when I, you know, talk to people about different, you know, pieces of this. And so that it's, it's interesting that you say the matrix. So yeah. that's the first piece. The second is, um, it's also interesting because when I think about, um, technology or social media, um, or dating apps to, you know, to be honest, it's yeah. like many things. It's, I don't see it as good or bad. It's a tool uh, mm -hmm. that has both good and bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. so, you know, when you're talking about how would, how do we, or would we connect or cultivate collective consciousness in this world, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is technology, right? right. We would be using, uh, at least if I'm thinking about how I'm going to go about doing it, what uh, technology is a very important part of how do you take and share the stories of people across the globe with people, you know, back home and it, it's all powered right. by technology. So you have to appreciate it for its, you know, possibility, but also very, very important to call out, 
you know, the serious harm mm -hmm. happening. Um, I think the first thing that uh, luckily we're already starting to see is an awareness, okay. right? An awareness of the addiction, an awareness of the, you know, the conscious unplugging, quote unquote, right. that, you know, you know, is, I don't, people are, people are saying like, is, is tech, your social media, like gonna last? Like, I think that's a little bit of, to me, it's a silly question because yeah. I don't see it going anywhere. And right. I just think seeing it getting, you know, much deeper and more, you know, I don't know, widespreadly integrated into everything, you know, in yeah. our lives for better or worse. Yeah. Um, but, but what didn't exist four years ago or five years ago, or, you know, when it was sort of just popping off is, is an awareness to the adverse effects of, okay. right? Like yeah. when you go to France and you see a cigarette carton and you have these terrible, hor like scary yeah. photos of like, you will die right. type messaging, <laughs> like on the box, like yeah. that still doesn't exist for social media, right. right? It's like you see, you know, all these shiny platforms that are designed by the best of the best of billions of dollars of development teams and, you know, creators and technologists to make them as sticky and as addictive as possible yeah. for the, you know, ad dollars that these platforms get. Um, um, you don't really have the, 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 uh, the widespread messaging yet or understanding fully of, well, you know, yes, I love scrolling through the newsfeed, but right. like, you know, is, am I still breathing fresh air? Am right. I going outside? Am I playing with friends? Am I getting bad at talking to people offline? Right. Um, there is a group I, I might, um, botch the name, but I know it was once called uh, time well spent. Okay. It was a movement, um, by, uh, by really, really, um, smart, beautiful, wonderful, you know, technologists who um, came from that space and then kind of stepped stepped to the side mm. and started um, trying to create uh, accountability okay. um, for the creators or for these platforms to make sure that they're not just optimizing for ad dollars yeah. uh, or like time spent on the newsfeed, but actually time well spent, right? right? Like, is it about helping you connect and get offline so you can go meet more friends or is it about sort of sucking you into the black hole and right. keeping you there for, you know, hours? Right. And so I think in the recent, you know, when I was little, my mom, uh, my, my, all my life, my mom has meditated. Okay. And, you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, what's she doing? Like, I'm embarrassed if my friends come over. It's like some woo-woo thing upstairs. <laughs> but like now all my friends meditate. Right. My favorite thing to do in New York is something called Medi Club that happens once a month um, in, in Brooklyn. But with, you know, a beautiful, diverse group of modern, you know, modern New Yorkers who meditate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and. Bef that sort of mainstreamification of wellness mm -hmm. and spirituality and mindfulness and presence and that conversation is the first, you know, way of going about, um, you know, self-governing yeah. uh, or self-control. And then, thank God, I think we're going to see, you know, maybe slowly and maybe not everyone, but more uh, coming from the, the actual platforms or technology side as well. For okay. example, the iPhone now showing you, you know, your use time. Yeah, I, your I don't screen know time. screen yeah. time. Like that's horrifying, but yeah. also so important. Yeah. Or Instagram also came out with that like a month ago or two. You know, that's that's it. We're seeing the beginning of of bringing more and I believe critical awareness to what's happening. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not you know it's not going to be solved instantly. Right. I don't know what the in fact the solution is because right. I I see the value in connectivity and I also see the value in disconnecting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but it's a, it's a great question. Yeah, I think it requires a bit of balance. It's ironic that it may be, well, maybe it's not ironic that it may be this sort of iPhone generation that actually brings us closer to connection by reminding us to disconnect <laughs> or to get off of it yeah, at certain times. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of a roundabout way of coming to 
wellness in the, in the same way that Steve Jobs sort of came to his idea of wellness and then developed the iPhone as a result of it. Are you concerned at all about the, what's the proper word? Like the almost, I'm gonna botch this word, fetishization of wellness by our generation. Do you think that's a possibility? I don't even know if I know what I mean by that. Um, meaning sort of like, is it as deep as it could be when practiced by our generation? So I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great and, you know, pretty spot on question based on, you know, everything I see and experience when I'm, you know, out and about yeah. in, in the wellness space or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's it, in my mind, if we're coming from the belief that either way, the baseline is that most people are addicted to technology, streaming Netflix all day and like forgetting how to talk to people offline, mm -hmm. any form of quote wellness or, you know, presence or mindfulness, you know, practice is better than none. Right. So I would much rather live in a world where, you know, more people are practicing some form of, you know, I don't know, positive intention or, you know, uh, um, imperfectly then then a world where we don't because we want to preserve like the true right. essence of you right. know wellness and so i think it uh, it, it anything will anything that's working appeals to someone right. right and so if we're talking about like the real core you know truest you know yogis yeah. um I, I love it and they yeah. and and they have a following in there you know maybe they started it all yeah. and then if we're talking about like the insta you know wellness like i don't know i'm trying to be nice but like <laughs> the people like the, all the fluff yeah like they're getting a bit you know millions of likes and hey you know whether or not we think it's good or bad or this or that is if it's putting out a positive message it's even just for a moment hitting someone's awareness mm. um that might not you know be receptive or you know resonate with the you know the extreme or the, the you know yeah. the originators then i'm then i'm good with it right okay. yeah Okay, so can you talk a little bit more about your, because I've never been, but I've been told that I should go, uh, about your Burning Man experience, because it seems like it was very critical for you. So I went on a um, trip to Israel, a Schusterman Foundation Reality Israel trip four years ago, mm -hmm. um, where I met um, some of the most incredible, inspiring, just like wonderful humans uh, I've ever met. And they really sort of quickly became my best friends in my like tribe, my core mm -hmm. people. Um, many of them live in and around, you know, Brooklyn. So it's nice because I have the tribe close to home. Um, and about a month or two after, you know, some of my friends from that trip were like, you're coming with us to Burning Man. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I went, um, you know, that year and I've been, I guess, for three years since. Okay. Um, Subsequent, every single Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you about it? I mean, sure. But I, I, it, it probably will sound like most conversations about Burning Man. Like it's... <laughs> crazy it's another planet is somehow you know, a way i've heard it described actually just yesterday like yeah. you're literally on another planet there's um you know at the way the the experience of those days is so um, um nourishing and you know uh exhausting and uh like it's a roller coaster like it's not in my mind like coachella where everyone's you know, having fun and wearing yeah. flowers in their hair and sundresses and like frolicking, which by the way, sounds dope. I've yeah. never been, want to go like, yeah, but it's not that like yeah. you feel 
all the feels there. Yeah. Like there are highs and lows and you're miserable and you're the best. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's cause it's just, there's so many extremes. It's freezing at night. It's boiling during the day. It's stunning during like sunrise and sunset. The people, the connections, the culture, the, the values are, are, are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's a, it's a time to sort of, uh, free myself from the outside, you know, everything and just drop into, play and inspiration okay right so i don't go in with expectations i don't go in with um with an agenda i just go in you know with myself people that i love and and just flow for you know a week of of everything and i um there's a saying that like you don't have the burn you want you have the burn you need Mm, um so like you might go there like to find love and then you you end up having like a totally solo time and you you really connect with yourself like because really that's what you needed yeah and i think that's definitely you know remained true to me over the last four years that it's always you know not what you not exactly what you expect definitely not exactly what you plan but it's always you know powerful um the other thing that really um clicked for me there was um as i mentioned like i've been confused and uh, struggling with my jewish journey over the last you know four years the the more and more i got involved in the jewish world the less i found that i was practicing right or the less i was actually doing yeah in fact the more turned off i became by most of the touch points that i was seeing or the experiences or opportunities or events that like i was being fed like around you know the the jewish experience i was like like, that didn't feel like like me yeah didn't feel like home and then yeah. I went to Shabbat at Burning Man, um, my first year there, and it, it was it like cracked me open. Okay. It, there's a thousand people of every walk of life, um, which uh, side note sort of changed the way that I uh, believe and experience and and practice like Jewish, um, you know, Jewishness or my, you know my Jewish uh, um, programming or anything that I do Jewishly is is now and maybe this is uh, I, ties back to Universal in particular. It's right. like the fact that it was made up of everyone not just like one type of person or one religion it was like a thousand people i'm sure many of them were jewish but it was far beyond that like there was everyone from every type of you know background um you know come together oh during the sunset at this camp called milk and honey um and and it was just the most you know touching uh, experience i had you know jewishly and then after that they have a shabbat dinner i went to this other camp called merkaba for shabbat dinner and i i was i was just like fully activated i was fully lit up and i you know was just so in it and i was like oh my god i remember thinking to myself and like after the like the first course like moving out of the sort of this this little vibey tent and laying on one of the you know pillows or cushions outside looking in and just thinking i was like wow what is it about this experience that has me so on right now? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, this, this is the Judaism that I can identify with. Right. This is like the, the, the Shabbat that I can practice and get down with. In right. fact, like if, if I could have Shabbat like this, I would do it every Friday night. Right. And yeah. like, and this is the type of Jewish that I would share with the world. Right. Yeah. What is it about this? And it was a couple of things. One um, was the, the diversity, the inclusion, the, you know, it was everyone and, you know, collectively experiencing the container of Shabbat, mm-hmm. um, which I thought found really, really powerful. And two, the, um, it was um, the intersection of depth, essence, spirituality and lifestyle vibe. Okay. Right. Which I thought like and what that's does that mean unpack that yeah, a little meaning that. So 
this has been sort of the last year for me of like my new, my new, uh, I don't know, my new charge to myself and to Jewish programming that I, you know, uh, connect with, collaborate with, you know, talk to, um, which is you know, most Jewish touch points or most Jewish experiences, um, you know, I feel are just totally lacking any sense of like vibe. But can I, can I ask you a question? Sure. Because when you say vibe, yeah. the word that comes to my mind is spirit. Okay, got it. No, I'm talking about like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, it's a vibe. Like, like it's an like, energy. Like, a, like an energy. Yeah, yeah. Different than spirit. Let's like, just because if, if we're talking about Judaism, then spirit becomes a tricky word. So. Okay, so spirit, just FYI, spirit in the black community has a slightly different connotation. Okay. Meaning spirit, like when, when I think spirit, I also think I, it's, a, it's a synonym with energy. Okay, and like, perfect. And like, yeah. So then yeah. same page. Okay. And so like what I think about is, and I don't want like to pick on anyone, but let's say you're a college organ, a Jewish college organization, mm-hmm. right? And we're talking, and, and the whole Jewish world is freaking out because millennials don't care and we're the least affiliated and the least engaged that we've been in years, which is true, by the yeah. way. It's not just Jewish. It's all millennials in general are the least religiously inclined and more, you know, spiritual than, yeah. you know, generations past. But definitely, definitely um, uh, applies to the Jewish world. And, and like, they're all freaking, they're up in arms that, you know, millennial Jews don't care, yada, yada. And, and then what I see as the choice that currently the Jewish world is giving them is you're a freshman in college. You just get to campus. You're at a big school or a small school. And you're, like, for the first time free and independent. And you want to, like, become who you are. And you want to meet new friends. And you want to date that cute person. And, yeah. you know, like, and, okay, now comes Friday night. And you find out that there's this cool party ha- happening there. And then there's this, you know, other, you know, thing happening there. And it's, you know, that's where all of your friends are going. Or you can choose to go to the, you know, sterile white room of, like, like completely void of vibe or yeah. spirit. And, you know, eat on these, you know, plastic plates, some type of medium okay meal and, like, connect with Judaism. Right. It's like... <laughs> No flip in doubt is no one going to choose that, yeah. right? And those who do, power to you because thank God, like, yeah. you're keeping those things going. But uh, at the end of the day, what I experienced at, at my Burning Man Shabbat was the deepest intersection of a, a, a spiritual essence, you know, a r- Jewish experience that was dripping with vibe, right? Like, it was the cool, like, it was something that I wouldn't, that I would have chose to go to anyways. And it happened to also be an unbelievably powerful rich you know spiritual jewish you know shabbat dinner Um, and that to me has become like a core uh mission over the last you know year of identifying seeking connecting with um the the millennial jewish creators um who are um real actively engaged in creating you know the the current or the future jewish experience for our generation but specifically those who get the intersection of vibe and essence or vibe and spirituality whereby you know it's not a choice of do i go to this cool party or do i go to this jewish event because you know it's important to me or because it's important to my parents or it's you know it's it's one in the same yeah so two questions that come to mind and this is sort of riffing off of a little bit of what you said. How are there specific concrete steps you can take to make that and cultivate that uh, intersection? Uh, and have you at all been influenced by Kabbalah? Because I'm getting a Kabbalah vibe from you right now. So, I mean, it's interesting. Okay, question one, um, specific concrete steps. First, like the first thing I'm doing is seeking, right? Okay. Seeking and sharing. Like I'm, I'm sharing this, you know, uh, idea that's, you know, fairly new to me, you know, 
any opportunity I can to people who are interested in, you know, want to talk about this stuff. It's one of my favorite things to think about. So actively sharing, I'm a big believer in like crowdsource, open source, co-created everything, right? Like this isn't for me, this is for us. And it, you know, it's for the world. Um, those who choose to participate right. in it. Right. And so that sharing a B, um, one of my, um, next projects is something called the Jewish Future Summit, and it's essentially a convening of um, of young Jewish creators from across the across the world who come together to um, for conversation, for community, for co-creation, collaboration, and really just holding space for this type of dialogue to exist, um, where I feel that it is not currently addressed in the um, the events or the gatherings or the conferences that are currently available to us as a sort of global Jewish world. Okay. Um, so that's, those are two ways that I'm sort of um, leaning into that. And then Kabbalah, you know, uh, well, it's funny because one of our clients for the last two years has been Kabbalah, uh, okay. the Kabbalah Center. Yeah. Um, and so a bunch of the team has been like taking the classes and getting into it. Um, I, I'd say for me, um, my form of connection to Kabbalah is through um, my um, rabbi in college, Rabbi Moshe Bleich in uh, Babson um, okay. in Boston, um, who introduced me to something called um, oh, I think Tanya. I met him. Yeah. I think I met him. The reader so, Tanya. Uh, uh, well, the, the, the book. Chabad the Chabad teaching. book, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is based on Hasidus, which is based right. on Kabbalah. And so basically, um, the idea of elevating the, the physical to the spiritual mm -hmm. um, and. Um, um, really understanding that we have the opportunity to, or every moment of every day we can choose in the physical world to um, act in such a way that either, you know, you know, stays pretty physical uh, or take the moment, whether it's, you know, a blessing or just a moment of intention or whatever it is to elevate physical physicality to spirituality. Okay. And so that's, you know, one of my main influences. And the other is something that, um, my mother has been involved with for also for a very long time that she introduced me to when I was younger called Musar. Okay. Um, but um, it's it's sort of this modern uh, take on Musar, uh, this book called Everyday Holiness okay. uh, by uh, um, a man main, uh, named uh, Alan Marinus. And it's the main thing in that that I that definitely sticks with me every day is this idea of the Bahira point, which is the choice point or the trigger point. And it's this understanding that um, we are, and this is a core belief of mine, I believe we have the opportunity and power to create everything in our lives, whether mm -hmm. we manifest it or create it or actualize it, we just have to first realize that mm -hmm. um, and then take action and attention and energy towards, you know, act, towards making it happen. Yeah. Um, and in that, I also believe we have the, you know, the full control over our feelings. And so the idea is basically most people go through life on this almost autopilot of sort of reaction. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have a trigger, maybe, you know, your traffic, maybe uh, your trigger is like traffic. Mm -hmm. You're getting on the highway and you see like, oh my God, I'm, it's bumper to bumper. Like and instantly you, you're like, you're totally fired up because you're, you can't believe that you're in this traffic and it just ruins your morning. Yeah. Um, the idea of the, the trigger point or choice point is that if you can identify, if you can, it, it like if you can understand what triggers you, and you can um, bring awareness to that before it happens, mm. then at any choice point that you would get triggered you can choose to veer left or right. veer right. right left meaning like let it you know take you on it you know let it take you or be you you know take In it control, you yeah. choose how you want to react right. and respond and so both of those I, I think are ultimately inspired by you know kabbalistic ways of thinking and yeah, yeah. it also dovetails a lot with stoicism i think right now i'm studying stoicism i have a like it's called the everyday stoic and it's like 365 days of stoicism and you read a different quote from i don't know epictetus or some ancient greek thinker and it it's very these it's interesting how these traditions converge 
um, whether it's, you know, Near East traditions with uh, Judaism, with Stoicism. So a lot of them dovetail. Okay, last question. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to someone who looks at you as a role model and wants to follow in your footsteps? Oh, wow. Uh, hmm. Ah, oh, okay. I mean, what comes to mind first is uh, follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so cheesy. But um, my friends uh, have introduced me to uh, the idea of alignment. And what I mean by alignment is when you're able to design your life in such a way where your passion and your purpose and your profession and your job and your gifts and your, you know, expertise and your fun, like it, when it's all aligned, mm-hmm. you, you unlock sort of a level of, you know, uh, living or, or being a, a, and vibrate at a frequency that most people like don't have access to. Right. They all do, by the way, but they just they haven't know. unlocked yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's such a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, powerful, you know, um, free way of living, um, fulfilling, inspiring, meaningful. And so, um, the way to do that is, you know, to first design a life around passion, purpose, and, and your dreams, um, and, and, and do it, live it now, right? Like don't defer lifestyle that don't, you know, my dream is to travel the world when I, you know, whenever, however many years from now. Uh, I know it's a long answer to your question, but one of my friends, um, Stefan, has a project called 8 Billion Dreams. And what he does is he goes around the world um, with the goal of, uh, by I think it's 2020 or 20 something, um, like surfacing or uh, 8 billion dreams of people around the world, wow. right? And when he asks them, um, I went, I tagged along with him one day, um, and we basically just were going around and asking people what their dreams were. And they yeah. gave him little cue cards to write it down. And one of the most powerful things for me was that. Um, take a guess what people's initial response was like what was most people's response to be rich so the 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 overall i would say more than 50 percent, probably more than 80 percent of people the top of mind response was whew that's a really hard question (laughs) which means which in my that that actually was my main takeaway for the day which was that you know i believe again we can actualize everything we you know want to in life and if that is living your dream, but people don't have their dream top of right, mind. Right. In order to actualize anything, you have to have clarity of what it is, right? right? And then, then you could sort of start taking action, right. putting energy. Um, so it made me sad that people's dreams weren't top of mind, and therefore I've sort of taken on this mission as well. Yeah. But in this case, um, dream big and uh, believe it's possible or know that it's possible and yeah. actualize it towards a life of alignment and you know purpose and passion and and all the sorts. I guess to dig just a little bit deeper into this question, what piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to do all that, but is dealing, let's say, with, I don't know, for some reason, anxiety, or and trying to overcome that that level of hesitation that they might have in, when, in taking that initial first step? Nothing, uh, m- magic doesn't happen in the comfort zone, right? Mm. It's not gonna be comfortable. Pretty much any type of big change is never comfortable, whether it's leaving your job to start a project, or mm. getting in or getting out of a new relationship, or, you know, it's never comfortable, right. but like pass through the dip of discomfort and like that's where all the magic is possible. Um, so uh, my advice for someone is, A, nothing's permanent, right? Like, yeah. you know, you, it works, it doesn't work. It's all, uh, some, there's a, what's the quote? It's like, you either win or you learn, right? right. Like, I, I don't know if I like it being that binary, but the idea of, um, you know, discomfort, you, you get, uh, it will hold you back in pretty much almost anything. Mm-hmm. Um or protecting yourself so that you don't get hurt or all these things. I think people need to 
dive in headfirst to whatever it is that they're you know passionate about and um, and know that the only the most uh, li- the most uh, valuable and limited um, you know thing we have is time yeah um, so there's no time like the present and it, it is fully within you to actualize your dream yeah awesome thank you David Yaris no doubt blessings <laughs> thank you for having me pleasure Today's quote comes from a song I've been furiously trying to learn on guitar. It's a song by Stevie Wonder called As. It's deeply beautiful. In this song, Stevie Wonder is describing the depth of his love, and he's also describing what he believes is divine love. I think you'll find that these lyrics are especially moving. I certainly found that they were, and I hope you enjoy. Listen to these lyrics. I think you'll find that they're very profound. Just as time knew to move on since the beginning, and the seasons know exactly when to change. Just as kindness knows no shame, know through all your joy and pain, that I'll be loving you always. As today I know I'm living, but tomorrow could make me the past, but that I mustn't fear. For I'll know deep in my mind the love of me I've left behind. Because I'll be loving you always. Until the trees and seas just up and fly away. Until the day that eight times eight times eight is four. Until the day that is the day that is no more. Until the day the earth starts turning right to left. Until the earth just for the sun denies itself. Until dear mother nature says her work is through. Until the day that you are me and I am you, I'll be loving you always. That makes for one more episode of the Theory of Enchantment podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all enjoyed. And as always, thank you so much for listening.